Hello and welcome to the NLA podcast with me, Richard Blanco. Today I'm discussing the decarbonisation of homes in Wales with the NLA's local authority policy officer, Gavin Dick. The Welsh Government declared a climate change emergency on the 29th of April this year and on the 12th of June they also declared a target of net zero emissions no later than 2050. I'm clutching a report which Welsh ministers now have on their desks. It was prepared by the Decarbonisation of Homes in Wales Advisory Group, of which you are a member, Gavin. Yes. And the, the report really tries to get to grips with the nuts and bolts of improving energy efficiency of housing in Wales. What was it like being on the advisory group? It was interesting. It was informative. And there was a lot of different opinions on there. And that's what made it quite interesting. So uh, obviously there was subgroups and the NLA myself led on one of the subgroups on uh, how to get support, um, community support. And it was interesting to see the different views and understand what the actual underlying problems really are. Um, so the, the committee was wide-ranging, there were academics on it, business was on it, obviously majority of people homeowners, social housing and obviously the private landlords as well. Um, so it was quite an interesting mix. Now, the Minister for Housing and Local Governments in Wales, Julie James, said that making our homes greener and more energy efficient will be challenging, especially when you consider that Wales has the oldest and least thermally efficient housing in the UK and Europe. And in fact, the report makes the point that 32% of Welsh housing stock was built before 1919. Um, the average Welsh home has an EPC rating of D and also 12% of households live in fuel poverty. Why does Wales have these particular challenges? Uh, for a number of reasons. One, um, you go to look at where Wales is. Um, so it was where there was a significant coal and steel industry. And at the back end of that, or the other side of that, is they were building the homes for the people to live in off the back of those industries. So you have an awful lot of pre-1919, as they say, housing stock, which is where the workers lived. So you had communities um, along the valleys, uh, so the coal mining villages, the pit villages we all hear about, um, and they are still there. Um, some of them are still on free coal, which is just absolutely amazing um, when you think about it. So you've got old housing stock. Um, people don't historically knock down houses and then rebuild them. Uh, we don't have that as a model in the UK. Um, so therefore those houses people have lived in, they've sold, and they're owned by the pits. People lived in them, they worked in the pits, and you had that community. That sort of broke down the 60s and 70s, and then obviously the big 80s. Um, but those houses still live there, or are still standing there, people are living in them. I think that's one of the big challenges. Um, for Wales and for a lot of England and Scotland as well in that you've got a very old housing stock um, which is owned by people, not owned by companies um, and there needs to be a big change in it. So we've historically built homes near uh, conurbations and those conurbations uh, so have been near coal pits, steel pits, the old industrialised parts of the country and that is what's needing to change, is what happens to those properties. So it's quite an interesting challenge. Mm. And just, I mean, just looking at some of the targets, basically um, the target is uh, 30 years before 
the vast majority of properties will be EPC rated A. Um, so by 2050. Um, now, of course, um, campaigners such as Extinction, Extinction Rebellion have said we need to get to zero well, um, by I 2025. Mean, yeah, I mean, they're just not realistic. I mean, if you actually talk about, okay, we'll have zero carbon by 2025. If they actually are serious, that means anyone who's got a uh, gas boiler, that has to go. Anyone using carbon-based fuels has to go. So that means effectively anyone using a petrol or diesel car. Uh, then you talk about embedded carbon, so no, no new house building, no mobile phones. Where do you think we get most of our products from? China, because we've outsourced the carbon. It's very good. I mean, basically, they want to crash the economy. Sooner than 2050? Well, I think this is part of the greater discussion, which the, to actually get to uh, net zero by 2050, actually, it's not going to be delivered by government. And I think government has to explain this to people in a very clear way. Government can't deliver this. Individuals have to make decisions for themselves. And unless we actually have people making free choice over the correct way of doing things, uh, which, which they can afford and do, people will not sign up to it. So the Extinction Rebellion saying it will be net zero by 2025 is just madness because people are not going to give up their life. We're not going to go and live back in caves so therefore, let's be realistic about how we actually get there. So people want to go on holiday. People want to eat. People want to actually do things. Um, therefore, it's about how do you remove the carbon from people doing those things. Now, actually, some of this is out of the hands of the Welsh government, indeed the people of Wales, because uh, Wales has to import energy from... Most of it comes from England, doesn't it? And the argument is that... Um, actually, if you just made for cleaner energy, then you wouldn't have to do all of this retrofitting of houses that's not energy no, efficient. No, I mean, that, that's, well, that's a, la- a sort of lazy argument in that if we decarbonise the grid, therefore people won't have to um, do anything. Um, I don't subscribe to that as a way because actually it's about how you make decisions because it's not just about how you get heating and electricity into your home. It's about the decisions you make in your home as well. So the transmission of energy, how that's taking place. Um, so if you can have a more small-scale generation on your own property, that could be cheaper for the individual doing it. Equally, if we do um, mass-scale onto renewables today and move away from gas overnight, which, again, is predicted for new build 2025, you will see a change in energy price. So when you take uh, fuel price, if, oh, as a general rule of thumb, when you heat a home, it's about 4p a kilowatt hour. If you're using electricity to heat your home, it's about 16p a kilowatt hour. So surprise, surprise, if you go down a decarbonisation route of just saying, right, we'll just decarbonise by moving everyone to electrical heating, well, that's going to put everyone, well, not everyone, but a significant portion of people into fuel poverty. Yes, it will exacerbate fuel poverty, won't it? Yeah. And that's where people who say, oh, decarbonisation and fuel poverty go together are just fundamentally wrong. Fuel poverty is based on someone's income, so that's a bit odd. Um, so therefore, by saying decarbonisation doesn't necessarily mean that energy prices in the short term will be lower. They could actually be higher. And I think that is when it comes down to having those conversations. So individuals need to be making the choice 
about how they do things to their own property. So in the report, one of the things that calls for, and something we support quite heavily, is a building passport. So effectively, all properties are, ha are measured on what can be done to that property and what is the correct order of doing things. So doing the fabric of a building so, um, has advantages to actually reducing energy usage. Um, now this is the home logbook, isn't yeah. it, that the report talks yes. about. And the idea is that all properties that are um, in receipt of energy efficiency improvement measures would have one of these homes. No, 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 just every house. So, because 80% of the homes in Wales, well, about 83%, 84% of homes in Wales are owned by individuals, whether it's landlords or homeowners. And they're going to make decisions themselves. So if you have a housing passport logbook, you can then make those decisions based on what is best for that property. So if you are saying, right, well, I'm going to put PV on my roof of a house, straightforward, can your roof support PV? Yes or no? Well, if it can't, you need to put a new roof on. PV being solar for, panels? And... Uh, well, no, photovoltaic, so it's slightly different. We'll go into that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Without being too pedantic. Um, but yes, it's like solar. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> um, so, so if you go down the route of um, a passport for a property, so a landlord will have, so say the average landlord's got eight properties, probably that's eight different housing types that they've got, and each of those houses will be different. Even though they could be built, they're all on the same street, they've all got different works done to them. So say they were all built in 1983. They will all have had works done to them different times, or the new boilers put in at different times, windows put in at different times. So you need to actually have a plan about what's going to happen to those properties. So as a landlord, you will have a plan on when you're going to do maintenance to the property. You will have a sort of, well, it will need a new boiler in X number of years. It needs new windows in X number of years. So it's a case of by having a passport or a logbook, you can then plan for the future. Um, and everyone can plan for the future then. One of the issues, of course, though, is having people who can retrofit these properties to make them more energy efficient. Um, and there are uh, recommendations within the report to increase the capacity of, of small and medium enterprises to carry out retrofitting. Um, the report also talks about the possibility of licensing general builders. And it also talks about social landlords um, actually extending some of their work to support private landlords in improving the energy efficiency. Do, how feasible are those plans? Right, again, let's, let's break it down again to the very simple thing. Every single person who does work to the house doesn't go out onto no due notice to find a contractor to do the work. They actually have a builder they know or they have someone they can ask to do the work. But what you don't know is what needs to be done. So by again, coming back to this building passports, you then have a plan to do things to your property. So when you ask a builder, and this is where the majority of landlords use SMEs anyway, so it's about giving them the, a bit, the person who's contracting to do the work to tell the person what they actually want doing. This SMEs will come and fill that gap, just as 40 years ago, a whole lot of gas engineers came because people put gas in people's homes. Um, and the similar thing will happen. Industry will flourish if people know that there's a capacity there to do it and what to do. And builders will adapt because they do adapt um, to the needs of the market. But where the problem logjam at the beginning is, people don't know what to do. 
So I could go and ask four different builders to put an air source heat pump into a house. I'll get four different quotes and three of them probably don't know what one is, but they'll give it a whack. Because guess what? He's going to give me some money, I'll do it. But it's having that confidence and saying, right, this is what I want. This is what needs to be done. But you don't actually know what an air source heat pump is yet. So where do I find? So it's having that sort of uh, housing architectural type, what can be done to that property, what's been done to the property and how do I do it? And the, the report talks about skilling um, people up to do that. I mean, a lot of funding has gone into this retrofitting uh, that's happened to date as well through Arbed and, and Nest schemes. Uh, 55,000 homes uh, and £265 billion has been spent since 2011 under the Warm Homes scheme. Interestingly, that's part funded by European funding, so there's a concern as to yeah. how that might continue in future. Sure, but again... It just comes back to this whole thing of the majority of this work will be done. So when landlords are putting a new kitchen into their property, that's when they should be looking at what else can they do in that kitchen at a time. So are they putting insulation in? Are they putting a new window in? So is it is it actually triple glazed? Because one of the other issues, which is only hinted at in the report, is the other area which government is going to be going down in the future is air quality. To, because we've got... It, air quality because government told us all to buy diesel cars and then realised diesel cars were actually quite bad so you know usual thing hypocrisy um, so landlords will be making those decisions what can they do to those properties most of this stuff will not be funded by government it will be funded by individuals as they're doing the plan maintenance to the property and that's what that's the big part again where I don't see government being the body that's actually going to deliver this. It's going to be the individual landlords and individual homeowners who are going to be doing the work anyway. The landlords will be worrying about where they're going to get the funding from. The UK government has launched a green finance strategy. We did, of course, have Green Deal in the past, which was UK-wide, which you know, was a disaster. was a disaster, yes. So a lot of landlords, I'm sure, in Wales will be wondering how this retrofit sure. is going to get paid for. And I think that there is talk, and um, we've talked about it in one of the subgroups, was around the financing of it in that uh, there's the Welsh Development Bank, can they make loans available at very cheap rates for people? Uh, one of the things we argued, and it has taken on in, in the report, is that the private rented sector and homeowners should be treated the same, um, which is a, is a big move from where government normally is, which is just punish the PRS because they're ideologically against the private rented sector. So by actually moving that the PRS into homeowners and actually being treated as an equal, that's big success for the PRS because if they can access loans, etc., which are a cheaper rate or whatever, uh, and it's very much following the German KWF bank model, um, which would then say, here is some money to do the improvements, and this and basically KWF effectively says if you're going to do the work, do it in this correct order. But again, this comes back to this whole idea: no one knows what the correct order is yet. So it's a case of getting the foundation stones correct, which allows people to make the right decision. I'm imagining a lot of landlords in Wales thinking, uh, you know, they've seen that the aim is to get to a minimum EPC level of C by 2030. Currently, it's E. Um, and, you know, they maybe own a kind of Victorian terrace property um, or, you know, Edwardian, well, 1910, 1915, or maybe even a stone um, 
a cottage or something like that and thinking, how the hell am I going to get that up to sea by 2030? Again, that's England as well as Wales. Um, yeah, it's a significant challenge. Yes, there's exemptions. The NLA has been calling for the bring back Elisa, uh, which was abolished a few years ago. Um, and, and again, asking for that so landlords can actually make those differences. But I think, again, this is where a sound I can keep repeating is not about getting to C. It's actually about getting to A. And I think the trouble is by, set, by setting these f- arbitrary targets at one point to then jump onto a future target, you can actually put stuff into your property. The classic example would be, we're looking at net zero carbon. To get to a C, uh, put a combi boiler in. Well, actually, if you base it on carbon, boilers are the worst thing to put in because they burn gas. Mm. So therefore, to get to a C, you could be, a landlord could be spending three grand-ish to put a new boiler in, which you then have to pull out again. Mm. It just doesn't make economic sense. So again, it's having that strategy of what is the strategy to get that property to an A and what can a landlord do to get it to an A and what is the order of doing things? So is it the fabric of building first? Yes, it is. So there's no point putting something into a property if it's as leaky as a sieve. Mm. So again, it's working on the, on the correct order of doing things for properties. And I think this is where a lot of the problems lie in a lot of the politicians and people around us are looking for knee-jerk reactions and not actually planning long-term. So one of the recommendations we put forward uh, in our group was that actually it is about the long-term plan. It's not about politicians looking at short-term, look at me, I've got a bit of paper, I can wave it in the air, aren't I great? Actually, this is a 30-year plan for every house. How do you get there? So the stone-clad housing, some of them can't be done. And I think that's part of the real challenge. So some of these properties actually can't be brought up to an A. And they have to understand that. But who knows that at the moment? Mm. So it all comes back to, once people know what can be done to that property, how do you do it and what is the process to go through to get to it? Final question to you, Gavin, is how keen do you think landlords are to work with the Welsh Government, given their antipathy towards compulsory licensing and accreditation through Rent Smart Wales, which, you know, has had some mixed reviews, I think, from the landlords. Yeah, I mean, mean, Rent Smart Wales doesn't even record EPCs. So, I mean, we can, we can question that quite heavily. Um, I th- again, the Welsh Government has to move to work with the private rental sector. It can't be dictatorial. Um, it has to work. And I think that's part of the thing we've been pushing with the Welsh Government is how they actually work with landlords. Um, it is a significant challenge for them. Um, and I think, again, we've said in the report the Welsh Government should make the building passports um, free to every single property in Wales as a commitment. To show the Welsh Government's committed to this, it's not sexy, it's not wonderful, it's not something they can say, look what I've done, I've given every property a passport. Um, But actually, that's the foundation stone from which to build everything else from. And I think that's the big change that needs to undertake. Um do that, build the confidence in the private rental sector that the work that's being done, because some of the properties we're talking about, if you say today is 2019 and they're in the private rental sector, in five years' time they could be in the occupied sector, they could also be in the social sector, they could then, social properties could be in the private rental property. So actually, properties change 10 years 
quite significantly. And actually, it's not a case of just looking at them, that's private rented, ugh, horrible. So it's saying, actually, it's a property-based system, and actually, all properties need to be treated equally. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's it for this podcast. We'd be interested to hear any thoughts or experiences you would like to share. You could tweet us, um, at National Landlord, or comment on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash National Landlord. And you can catch up with previous editions on iTunes or via the news and campaign section of the NLA website, which is landlords.org.uk. My thanks to my guest, Gavin Dick from the NLA, and to you for listening.